five, four, three, two, one. Good afternoon slash evening, everyone. You are tuned into another episode of Styles and Driss. We are coming to you live and direct once again from the very first location of the Wind Group headquarters in Burnsville, Minnesota. In Burnsville Center. It is a beautiful Monday evening slash afternoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a surprise episode. Well, it's more like a, a spontaneous episode. Yeah. Normally we record these things on like Saturday and Sunday, but you know, everyone's busy. So is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was your weekend? Uh, that's a good question. I don't even remember. Should I start? Yeah, yeah, you, you go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> okay, got it. Well, my weekend was uh, pretty chill. It was great. Oh, I just fucking forgot to do something for work, but it is what it is. I'll do it tomorrow, I think. Okay. Um, I was supposed to take photos of this fucking food hall that we're going to be opening up here because um, I might bring a concept into one of the stalls and totally forgot to do it. Okay. But whatever, you know, and... In lieu of that, I signed another lease here at Brinsville Center. So, yay. Congratulations. We're going to have uh, more traffic coming in, more tenants coming in. So, for those of you that were like, Brinsville Mall is dead, that suck my dick. <clears throat> Just kidding. Not really. Um, <clears throat> anyways. I really am just kidding. I, I, I don't mean that. I'm, I'm just, you know, it's it's been a long day. Um, it's been fun slash challenging to fill this mall up um, doesn't help when you're a part of the ownership group and everyone that you know personally is just kind of like passively ringing you down and saying like, oh, that mall's kind of dead though, isn't it? Yeah, no shit, motherfucker. That's why we bought it, so we can bring it back to life and, right. and bring shit to the community here. So It's about s- potentiality. So suck on these nuts. What are you doing with your life? <laughs> you know, just... Being for real. Playing it safe? Being a little bitch? It's nothing Going wrong. ahead and coloring within the lines? It's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. But, you know, uh, if you want to be a mover and shaker, then you got to do shit. Yeah. You got to do shit that matters. You got to be punk rock. You got to speculate to accumulate, as they say. Yeah. I don't so. know. Be a break dancer or whatever. Yeah. Do some air flares. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyways, going back to the subject, my weekend was good. Um, Friday worked. Um, did I teach on Friday? Nope. Just ended up hosting house session, mm-hmm. which was, it was really good. There wasn't a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there were two people that showed up and they were taking the class right before session. Yeah. And I think they were in the, under the assumption that session was a class. Yeah. Cause they're like, you know, they're just standing around mm-hmm. and kind of like looking at me and I'm like, the fuck? Yeah. The fuck? So when I started warming up, I usually do like a, just a quick warm up with like whoever's there, you know, mm-hmm. like Anna or whoever. They started warming up with me. I'm like, all right, cool. And then when I stopped, they were kind of clueless. Yeah. Like they didn't know what to do. Now, it's my fault because I should have just went up to them and be like, hey, sorry, this is just a session. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want class, come back next week. Right. Um, and, and we'll I'll gladly teach. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't the case. So I think they kind of got the point maybe 15 minutes in mm-hmm. after they were like, shit, this isn't a class. This is an actual dance practice. Yeah. Because they started practicing like, you know, random stuff. And mm-hmm. 
you know, went on with her, went on with her evening. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> speaking of class, so starting this Friday, um, I'll be teaching my usual, but from here on out, every Friday, except yeah, every Friday I'm teaching mm-hmm. at the workroom from 7:30 p.m. Yeah. to 8:30 p.m. Uh, it's a, I believe it's a $15 drop in or it's $15 in general, just to take the class. But I think you'll make your life easier if you download the app, the workroom app. It's free. Mm-hmm. Um, you get access to your videos. If we record, which we usually do, uh, access to all class videos. It's easy to like, um, you know, reserve a spot. I mean, there's only 30 spots in my class in each class actually. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, save yourself the hassle and, um, Download the app. Easy and simple. Uh, Saturday, I worked a little bit. Played some golf with a Filipino OG. Who Now I'm thinking about because I, I remember telling you, I was like, shit, he kind of reminds me of Rob Nasty. Mm-hmm. He's like a mix of Rob Nasty and Stepchild. Mm. Both bald. Well, Rob's not really bald. But Stepchild's bald. They kind of look alike. This is what Stepchild's going to look like 100 years from now. <laughs> He's still yeah. going to be alive, too. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, and you know, they have, like, the same type of personality. He's, he's, like, in his late 50s, and he's just, like, a chill, like, semi-grumpy but sporadic Filipino guy. Okay. You know, kind of like, you know, he's just a funny-ass dude. Yeah. Um, But, you know, we played golf. I've been playing golf with this guy for, like, the past, gosh, however so many weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a member at this nice club in Ham Lake, Minnesota called Majestic Oaks. And, you know, he's just like every Saturday, he just hits me up. He's like, you want to play? I'm like, fuck it. What else am I doing right now? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I did some work. I kind of I do want to get it in before the season fully ends and you start seeing a bunch of snow. So, fuck it. Let's do it. Um, so, did that Sunday. I uh, got invited to go play at Gross National Golf again with, um, with some friends Gross Nationals in St. Anthony, mm-hmm. Roseville. Um, and then I was planning on going to Day Funk, but I started feeling a little off. Mm-hmm. So I just fucking went home and just yeah. called it an evening. Or actually, no. I went to Asia Mall mm-hmm. because I was hungry as shit. And I was feeling off because of all the bullshit traffic that was happening due to the game. Yeah. So I was like, dang, anywhere I go, I'm going to be stuck for like 30 to 40 minutes. Like fuck this shit mm-hmm. i'm gonna go somewhere that's closer to home right and i was craving for some fuss so i went to asia mall and checked out what was going on there um the dim sum place just recently opened up mm-hmm. so it's like dim sum all day cool you know it's pretty nice it's where usually dim sum would just happen like during brunch mm-hmm. or early morning so they're serving it all fucking day so if you're uh ever around eden prairie minnesota stop by the asia mall check out dim sum garden or just check out the mall in general. You know, it's pretty much rolling up on a year now since they had their soft opening and uh, official grand opening, I believe, will happen in maybe January. Mm-hmm. When that, essentially, what they're doing is they're waiting for all the tenants to open up. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my weekend, man. It was nice. It was chill. I'm blessed. I'm grateful. Can't complain. If I do, no one will listen. Nobody gives a fuck. So just got to keep chugging along. There you go. Do you remember what you did this weekend now? Um, still barely. Um, Friday came out to the session, and, um, yeah, that was that was actually kind of funny, just watching how the uh, the two folks that dropped in were just like, they really were just like looking around, kind of like, okay, is someone going to teach us how to do 
some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, I mean, I went over and I was, I introduced myself mm-hmm. and, you know, I was like, welcome to session and everything. And they're like, oh, thank you and stuff. And then I, I thought maybe they were going to ask questions or do something, but they just kind of just stood there in the middle of the dance floor. And then after a while, they kind of started working on some texts and things like that. And then, yeah, then they ended up buggering off and then it was just us. Um, oh, real quick. The one of the guys that was there, oh, the guy that was there, mm-hmm. yeah, the two people, it was a guy and a girl. Mm-hmm. That guy literally thought I was West Indian. <laughs> he, he started speaking the language to me. The I don't know what what type like, of language they speak, like but Hindi. If that's what West Indians speak, I guess. But he started speaking it to me, and I was like, "What the fuck is he saying?" Like I, I had to. I was like, "I'm sorry. Can you repeat that again?" And he said it again. I'm like, "I'm sorry, man. Can you repeat that again?" He's like, "Oh." My bad. I thought you were a West Indian. Oh, I'm like, well, God, I don't, I don't even know what the fuck. Well, um, I just don't want to offend anyone. I'm not going to say it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have, a, I have an idea of which ethnicities fall into that category. So maybe it starts with a G. But, I'm, again, I'm not going to. No, I'm not going <laughs> to go there. Um, but yeah, and I was like, fuck, that's the first time I ever got that. Because usually I get Mexican, you know. Hawaiian, same shit, Filipino, uh, Cam- <laughs> Cambodian, um, you know, got Vietnamese the other day. I'm like, mm, no. Um, what else? What else have I got? Samoan, yeah, Pacific Islander, same shit. Um, yeah, and then, but mainly Mexican. So I was like, wow, I was just intrigued by that. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, I was like, fuck, I thought my golf tan was gone, but I guess not. Because I must, I was like, I've never gotten West Indian before. Yeah, and I was like, I'm trying to remember in the the Caribbean. I mean, you you got a lot of, like, other languages anyway to begin with. But, yeah, like, uh, I mean, it could be anything. It could be Spanish. It could be French. It could be fucking Patois. It could be, you know. So yeah, I'm, I I didn't, I didn't hear like what he said to you because if I would have heard that, then I probably would have been able to pick out like. Well, the music was blazing, anyways. So yeah. I was just like, at first I thought he was really speaking like English to me. Yeah. And then the second time, I'm like maybe, maybe he's speaking Spanish to me. Mm-hmm. It was like a different dialect of Spanish. Mm-hmm. I was like, nope, that's definitely not Spanish. Yeah. What the fuck is that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it was it was pretty funny. Yeah. It was it was good. But yeah, um, let's see what else. Saturday was kind of a blur. Sunday, I went to Day Funk, and um, I was there from like almost, almost like beginning to end, mm-hmm. because um, so many people that were on the bill that I know as DJs were were going to be there to um, to play. So I decided I was just going to be out there and just support everybody. And then, um, uh, please help me pronouncing his uh, his name. Is it is it pronounced Hatrius? I don't know. Okay, yeah, because th- there's so many people that got, like, fucking crazy names that, because they're DJs, unless, like, you talk to the people that are, like, in those circles and you hear someone actually say their name correctly, I'm always very hesitant now to even try to guess because then everyone jumps on your fucking ass and tries to be like, you know, no, it's actually Khatria, or no, it's, uh, you know, Osunade, you know, and you go, okay, okay, well, you could have just told me that, like, straight up. You didn't have to... Like, make this whole big deal about it? Yeah, like, like I'm not trying to do it to be obnoxious funny. or yeah. funny or anything. It's like, 
because again, just like a lot of other DJs, um, you don't ever, you hardly get to hear anybody's like name be spoken, yeah. like on a record, right? I mean, MCs, that's all they fucking do is promote their goddamn name, you know. And every once in a while, when you're one of them superstar DJs and you're like, you know, remix, mix, mix, DJ Khaled, you know, like that kind of thing, then everybody knows, okay, it's pronounced Khaled, right? But then, uh, yeah, you'll have other DJs who are just like back in the cut, just making music. So they're like, you go, how do you pronounce your name? And they're just like, dude, I don't even fucking care. You can call me whatever. <laughs> my real name is Bob or like, something. Dude, I don't even know how to pronounce my, my right. own name. You know, so, um, so yeah, so I just kind of like, I sat back and I, I just, I, I grooved uh, for quite a bit. Um, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff really threw down. He, mm -hmm. like, he really threw down. Like, I was like, God damn. Like, he was playing like he was the headliner. And I was like, damn, okay. Um, had some good conversations with, uh, with Nick, who's the, uh, um, Nick Gunn's the, the main uh, promoter of Day Funk. And he's the guy who's got, you know, all the, the connections. That's why he's getting such big acts is because he knows all these people from, like, you know, 90s and 2000s and stuff. So he's constantly just, you know, putting the bug in everybody's ear. Hey, you know, you want to come out to MN? I can bring you out, da 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 and all that kind of good stuff. So, so yeah, so we just kind of did that and just took, like, a, a patio day because it was nice. Um, they decided to do it outside again, not indoors like the, the previous month, the one that I played. And, uh, yeah, man, it was a good time, you know. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I saw footage. Yeah, I saw you dancing in there. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm like it, it's it's weird though when I when I dance like the thing that I I really get like super self conscious about is when I'm dancing on surfaces where I can't do multi level things. Mm -hmm. Then I kind of feel like okay, well, you know, was this like really me dancing? You know, because it's like you're dancing on like something that's like this weird cement with like pebbles in it and shit, and you can't really like touch the ground. You can't really slide your feet around. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like how we were talking about that on Friday, about how, like, you know, the whole dynamic of the practice is going to change because we didn't have any powder, mm -hmm. and that floor has got some pretty good grip. Yeah. So your dance style has to change. So I was just like, okay, well, I guess I'll just do more stepping patterns and, you know, grooves and things like that. So, but, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to become more... Uh, I don't want to say aggressive, but just like more, um, more comfortable with like lofting, and you know hitting the ground a lot more. So because like floor work and shit. Yeah, because um, I think that that's like another big thing that like just my personal style is missing all the time. I mean, a lot of people are like, "Oh yeah, you dance really good up top," but you, like I never see you like hit the floor. And you know, part of that is because again, like I'm trying to, you know feel comfortable like doing the difference between like breaking versus like lofting or groundwork you know mm. from like house so it's like how do you how do you change that style and not make it look so <clears throat> sporadic and so quick and you know and well, everything so the thing too is like a lot of a lot of people that first get in a house what they and i've you know mentioned this a number of times whether it's just you know chopping up with people or maybe even on this podcast is Everyone kind of um, they they basically think that lofting is floor work, but lofting is actually a style. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily floor work. It's it's your your tempo, your movement. Mm. So you know, it's I mean, 
and I've taught I've taught this in class before. I'm like an example of lofting is I could do loose legs or I could do a heel step, but my movement is going to be ten times slower than what the beat tells me to do. Mm-hmm. Like the main four and the four tells me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yes, majority of loft movement or style or tempo is done on the ground, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily all groundwork. Mm. You know. Um, a lot of people get it wrong, and it's, it's okay because I got it wrong too. And then I was finally corrected. I'm like, oh, that makes a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> and you know, it's it's interesting too because it's not I mean, lofting is. There's like three components to house, right? And lofting isn't necessarily. I think it's it's weird how it's like all broken down because there's the footwork, there's the jacking, there's loft. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I don't know. I, I want to definitely talk to some people about it and, and get their insight on it because mm-hmm. if lofting, if it is, it is its own separate deal, then why is it a component of house? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, cause jacking and footwork. Yeah, for sure. That's house all day, you know, but like, why is lofting component of it? If it's its own actual separate dance <clears throat> dance style or influence or mm-hmm. for that matter genre <clears throat> well i mean maybe it's kind of the same the same way that we look at you know um what something like hustle or salsa is to rock in that you know it's it's derivative but it's not like you know like it was already like in its own existence before mm-hmm. and then of course you know house was inspired by several different things, you know, com- combining together and being reorganized and, you know, shifted around and stuff. Or like, I was actually just talking to somebody about that um, at Day Funk because we were talking about, like, how um, even in-house there's, like, there's things that were just done that didn't have a, um, they didn't have a name or they weren't, like, a teachable piece of, like, some kind of curriculum until, like, later, after the fact, when people were starting to, you know, show it and, and teach it in studios, and they had to come up with, like, some sort of a way to be able to, like, articulate this to dance students and stuff. So then at that point, you know, when you do a pot of beret, you're not doing a real pot of beret in the, the sense that, like, somebody in ballet would judge as, like, oh, yeah, that's a pot of beret. They'd go, yeah, well, I don't know what the fuck that is, but that you call that a pot of beret, I guess, you know? Yeah, it's the aesthetic right. is, is the difference. Yeah, and um, which um, which can also be said about ballet as well. Because as much as ballet <clears throat> will have, you know, like the feeling of like, okay, we're the OGs, we've got the superior technique, we're this refined thing, it, it was a compilation of different folk dances, like just like the best of the best of all these different things all throughout like Europe that came together and they got polished and refined to become what that was. So, it, so maybe that's sort of like the same type of thing, you know, like what lofting is to house is like what folk dances and tribal dances were to ballet. They were something that was in existence before, and they, you know, have, like, a, an aesthetic and a feel and a vibe, and then somebody else says, well, hey, I really like that one little piece right there. And then they just focused on that, and then, of course, that focal point becomes an offshoot and, you know, travels down a, a different type of road, or when the music changes or evolves, then now even the dances will change. And, I mean, you know, a lot of people see that when they watch, like... Uh, even steps that we do in house that are African based and p- 
people will go like, well, I, I see that, that you're doing a step that is like African-esque, but you're not actually doing it the way that we would teach that in African dance or the 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 uh, the ball change that you're doing on your your foot is different or backwards or inverted or something like that you know so i mean it i i think it's like that it's that's like the cool part is that once you get to a kind of a place just like what we learned with breaking right like where you got to a place where you want to kind of go back and find out the origins of where a lot of the things come from because you feel like it's going to enrich your dance and also enrich you as a person and there's other people who just don't fucking care. They're just like, I just move. I don't care about the history. I don't care if Dookie Mike invented this back in 1973 mm. while he was, you know, spinning <clears throat> on his his uh, tailbone. Um, I just want to do the moves. And so I guess everybody's got, like, a different kind of a, a take on, like, what yeah. sparks their interest. But I, I personally like it. I, I, like, I like going back and, you know, even, like, when I do house techniques that – somebody who's a um uh who's an experienced uh dancer who's got like years and years of pedigree on me and has like gone to New York or Philly or Chicago you know and they'll be able to even like say that they'll they'll say yeah you you kind of do like that new style or mm-hmm. what what I would deem as a new style of um house dancing but this is how we did it back in the 70s or this is how we did it in the 80s and you're like, wow, that's that's a it's a great history lesson at that point. You really do appreciate that because then, again, you you have like it, there's like so much more like value and depth then to what you're doing as opposed to just simply you doing it because you know hey it's fun and yeah you know I I look good doing it or whatever. It's like you actually kind of have like a a sense of um, uh, like history to it now yeah in context. It's it's cool you know I, I think you were mentioning like people that don't really give a shit about the history and they just want to move to move. Mm-hmm. I think that's fine. Mm-hmm. I think it can be an, uh, like somewhat of an issue. Um, I think it'd be somewhat of an issue if you want to teach the dance. Right. You know, like if you're trying to be an educator of the mm-hmm. dance or some sort of influence in a, in a community, then, mm-hmm. you know, you got to know your shit, man. Yeah. Or you, mm-hmm. you got to, and you got to back your shit up. Yeah. Like you got to be strong. Right. With it, you know, strong about it, and you got to be confident. Right. If you're not confident, if you don't have that strong will, then they're going to get eaten up. Mm-hmm. And it's it's up to you if like that's you know that's how you that's how you want to go down. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Like for me, I think for the most part, I know my shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've definitely done a decent amount here in this community, and I'm not really scared. Mm-hmm. Like I don't fucking care. Like I've said it before in this podcast. If someone was to try and come into the scene and take over, you know, my so-called quotation position of, mm-hmm. like, house dance liaison or whatever here in Minnesota, mm-hmm. fucking go ahead, do it. Right. You know, at the end of the day, real recognizes real. Right. And you can go ahead and try. Mm-hmm. I don't fucking care. Because at the end of the day, like, it's it's not really about me anymore. You know, I just right. do this for the people here right. in the scene, you know. I I don't have to hold sessions, right? Weekly sessions. I don't have to fucking teach this shit, right? Uh, I could be doing other things, mm-hmm. but you know I care enough, yeah. And I mean, I started this shit like how many years ago? Like almost twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's like I might as well just keep going and right. see if there's anyone that wants to, you know, go for the ride, right? And 
you know, to to add to that too, that there's there's other people who I think um, the dangerous part is you run into people who they they kind of relish in the attention that you get from being in that position of authority, and there's a thing, it, it's a trade off because. Some people teach because it's like what they're passionate about, right? They know everything about, you know, ancient, you know, uh, Septuagint Greek or something, right? Like they they know that language inside and out. They can teach it. They can read Coptic. They can do all this other stuff, right? Um, so when they're teaching, they're an authority. And then you have other people <clears throat> who kind of are in love with the fact that that person seems like a rock star and they want the rock star position, but they don't really they don't really have that same connection to that thing the way that that person does. And oftentimes those are the people that will shoot themselves in the foot, right? They'll go and they'll, you know, somehow or another like position themselves to where they become the teacher of the style in, you know, some part of the city or the country or wherever in a certain dance studio. And it's a very heavy crown to have to wear because now every person that comes out of that area that interacts with other people of that respective art form, they're going to look at you and they're going to judge you and be like, wait, you're a student of, you know, Bobby Bananas over there? And it's like, yeah. And it's like, well, I hate to break it to you, but Bobby Bananas is not teaching you house. You know, what you're doing, I don't know what the fuck this shit is. Or it's kind of cut and paste internet pieces. We see all these elements of all these teachers um, here but you're not putting it together in like a fluid language that can be understood and spoken by your students to other people. They, they're not communicating well. They're, it's, you know, I mean, we, we've seen that shit all the time with people who like self-teach, um, you know, languages, right? They know like five or six words or a couple of phrases and they walk around and they say, oh yeah, you know, I'm, I'm fluent in Mandarin Chinese. And you're like, oh really? Okay. And then we go out someplace to get food and not a single word. Yeah. Or they're, they're mispronouncing everything or, you know they're 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 saying they're saying things that like again they were reading it so they were filling in the blanks with the information they had but they didn't actually go like that extra step and say okay well i need to watch like movies that are produced in mainland china and listen to how mandarin is spoken and i need to you know read not just like the wade uh wade giles style of like classical like mandarin but like the new opinion that was created that actually gave you tones so that way you could pronounce uh tones correctly because a lot of the people that like learned that way uh the way giles style was like those um those people ended up like fucking up the language and then they would write books upon books upon books using that old classical antiquated style and it it became like latin it became a dead language and then people would go to China, and then they'd have to, like, relearn everything from the ground up. they go, God, who fucking taught you this? Well, I learned in Princeton, and this, and this, and this. It's like, by who? Well, my professor. What did, did your, does your professor speak fluently? Well, not really. Like, we just, we learned about China more than anything, you know? And, and those are the guys that, you know, will also, they'll really go that extra level. You know, they'll be, like, you know, walking around and, you know, uh, Chinese, uh, like uh, Chung Sham and things like that and be acting like, you know, oh, yeah, and I do calligraphy and I do this and I do that. And I'm like, oh, cool. How many, how many times have you been to China? Uh, well, you know, I've never actually been to China, but, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I would, like, be fine if I went out there, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, good luck with that shit. And then you have, like, other folks that you meet where 
they're completely unassuming, but then like the minute that you hear them speak or they order off the menu or they're, you know, in, you know, the Chinatown of the area, they just take to it like a duck to water and you go, okay, yeah, this person's legit. They've, they've been around, they've got experience. And those are usually the people that are uh, more qualified to teach are the ones that have that, that they do what they do with authority. Um, so I'm always like very like apprehensive when people say like, well, you know, yeah, I, I want to, um, I want to learn from you so that way I can go and become, you know, like a, like a house teacher or a DJ or this or that. I want to be able to teach that. And I go, okay, but you're kind of like cutting the line. Like Mm -hmm. you, you should be like focusing on just like getting down with like the foundation and getting your basics, like just completely on lock and, you know, being a part of the scene and you know, developing and, you know, the, and you're going to build your bona fides. And then finally, you know, you're going to blink and 10 years have passed. And then someone's going to say, hey, guess what? Ozzy passed on this job, but he referred you. You know, would you be so kind as to teach this class, you know, uh, three days a week, a beginner's house or something like that? And you're like, I don't know if I'm really worthy of it. And the person's like, well, you know, Ozzy recommended you. So obviously, you know, it, you're, you're, you're getting like a green light to do this so you should give it a go and you know but oftentimes i think people fall in love they romanticize you know the feeling of being the teacher and that's a dangerous thing because like even teachers do that shit like professional teachers you go to like colleges all over the country where you got like tenured professors who have never done anything out in the field and they're teaching something like paleontology or you know ancient latin or this or that and they've never been to the vatican or they've never been you know, to a dig, they've never, you know, uh, unearthed uh, different dinosaur bones. They, they just, everything that they've ever done was all like scholarly, Yeah. you know, and that shit is kind of like, um, it's tough because, you know, some people are, are very proud of the fact that they've got, you know, five or six degrees and they've got all these doctorates and stuff, but they're a professional bookworm. And there's only so much that you can get from the theory and the memorization of what all these things are versus the actual feeling of doing it and then being like, yeah, man, like I, the reason why I can teach this with such authority is because I was the top chemist for 3M for, you know, 25 years. And I just do this as a side job where I teach, you know, chemistry in, you know, a local community college or something like that. Those are the people that like, they, they have a lot of weight in, in what they do. Because they've got experience. Mm-hmm. So I think that, yeah, experience has to be married with um, the knowledge that you have. Otherwise, what can typically happen is you can run into a position where it's like now you got all these students that are looking at you all starry-eyed and they're waiting for you to, like, give some gem. And then you just bullshit them because you don't know. And you don't have the courage to say, I don't know. Or, you know, yeah. like maybe you need to go to New York and ask the, the OGs. Mm-hmm. You're just like, well, no, actually, the reason behind that was because in-house, you, you and they pontificate something. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got, like, Khalif standing right behind that person. And he's like, nah, motherfucker, that's not what I was thinking at all when I did that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's, so. that's always the best when people talk as, like, the first person. Right. I'm like, motherfucker, you were not there. Right, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, shit, we've even seen that in a lot of documentaries when it's, like, people who establish themselves as dancers, but then once you once you actually do the, the math, you go, well, yeah, but you were not dancing at Cool Herc's parties. 
You were literally you were you weren't even born. Yeah, you you were like you were coming up into your own in the late seventies and the early eighties, and it's like, but you're acting as if you know you were fifteen or sixteen back in like seventy three and mm-hmm. shit. You're like, yeah, man, that's when they did this and they did that and stuff. And it's just like, no, you you can say, okay, I've heard from around the way from the elders, this is how they did things. I don't know from personal experience, or I was in a different borough at the time, but this is kind of what's gone down in, like, New York lore. Yeah. I, it's so easy to protect yourself. Like, what I like to say is, from my understanding, right. this is what happened. Right. Now, is it true? Is it false? I don't know. But mm-hmm. that's what I learned. Yeah. That's, that's, what, that's what I've picked up on. Yeah. The, th- the thing is, like, when people teach, see, I, I like to... I really like to go off of, like, my own fucking history. Because mm-hmm. nobody can take that away from me. Exactly. I was fucking there. Right. You know, like especially Minnesota dance history. Mm-hmm. Bitch, I was there. Right. You know, anything before 2001, mm-hmm. sure. I don't know. Yeah. I wasn't there. Right. So that's all on, you know, Jason, Stepchild, Daylight, mm-hmm. you know, all these guys. Right. Right. That's all on them. But anything from 2001 onward. Mm-hmm fucker i was there yep like i know exactly and i have a very vivid memory mm-hmm. of a lot of things especially in my dance experience in my dance life like, right i mean shit that haunts me yeah you know like for example here's a story uh, it was uh 2005 going to 2006 it was in the fall it was october um the breaking crew i was repping at the time we were called power rangers mm-hmm why that name? I don't fucking know. I wasn't the one that made it, but, you know, I just want to get down with my boys. Mm-hmm. We traveled to an, event, to an event in Chicago. I think it was, like, who came to serve. And it was a crew battle. It was, I remember it was, like, a five-on-five. And I fucked up. Mm-hmm. Like, I lost. I mean, I think we were kind of on the verge of losing anyways because mm-hmm. we were going against the Chicago crew, and I felt like the judges were kind of biased anyway, so I think they were going to vote for them. Right. We were going against <clears throat> self-ex at the time. Mm-hmm. And I used to do a move called rollbacks. Mm-hmm. And this is around the time when, you know, elbow pads with duct tape on it were like a big thing because mm-hmm. people were doing like blow ups and tricks and shit like that. Right. Well, I rolled back. Mm-hmm. I did a rollback, which was like done it how many times? Easy. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, the fucking duct tape like slipped off of the elbow pad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, where's the duct tape? And then I felt, you know, I felt like. As soon as I got to my elbow, to my forearm, I felt myself, like, sliding towards the crew. Oh, shit. And I was like, oh, fuck. And then I bailed out and landed into, like, a little ball. Yeah. And, you know, of course, you know, self-ex, they're all, like, pointing, laughing and right. shit. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Mm-hmm. I see the duct tape right on my foot. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And I looked at my crew. You know, at the time, it was like Minnesota Joe, Los Boogie, all those guys, Johnny mm-hmm. Craze, and they just had this look of disappointment. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, fuck, dude. That shit really sucked. Mm-hmm. And we, and to me, I personally felt like I lost it for, mm-hmm. for everyone, you know? Like, I literally lost that battle for everyone. Mm-hmm. And, like, I remember we were looking over footage, and then we got to that point where I literally slipped, and they are just like, fuck, man. So, like, you know is that's a vivid memory that will forever fucking haunt me in my mm-hmm. dance in my dance life right and shit and is is what it is but yeah anything 2001 and onward in minnesota dance history as long as i was at, at that event 
fucker. Well, <laughs> which shit. Which to to add to that, you know, it's like so if you're giving battle advice and somebody turns around and says, "What can you fucking tell me?" You know, it's like right there is a great point. You know, it, it's like there's there's other folks that have never been in those positions. They never um, took a risk. They never, um, you know, double or they, they didn't have anything like, you know, that where they really like w- went out there into deep water. So, um, which is nice. It, it shows that they're smart by, you know, playing it safe. But at the same time, it was like you learned a, l- a lot of valuable lessons in that situation. Yeah. And and especially when when it comes down to like a crew battle um, or anything that you're doing where it, any any type of team sport <clears throat> you know the like they say that you know the the name on the front of the jersey is more important than the name on the back mm-hmm. so if you get into a situation and you know a thousand percent that you can stick this particular technique because you've done it you've drilled it this is your shit and your crew trusts you on it then great but if all of a sudden you know, um, war chief is like, Hey, listen, um, you know, uh, they're going to send their guy out and they're going to do that thing. I want you just to go out and just do footwork, just, just finesse and footwork. And then you're like, fuck that. I'm doing air chairs and, and, and flares and, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to do all this other stuff, stuff that I haven't even maybe perfected yet. It's like at that point, you know, you're, you're, you're showing right there, like, uh, you, you have to be able to listen to people who have authority and who have experience. Mm-hmm. And also sometimes they might even be able to push you to places where, um, you didn't, you didn't think that you wanted to go there, but you needed to like the, the other people that like know your talents and know your abilities are like, no, what we should do is we should, we should actually have our dancer and footwork guy go out after the power guy who has no rhythm to show specifically like okay this is how you dance on beat you know you you were doing tops just for the sake of doing tops because it's tradition and then you went on to your bullshit you know um uh, crazy routine or whatever and then we're going to send out like our suave dancer mm-hmm. to show you how to rock a beat and um so yeah so there's there's like a lot of really like dope lessons that, that come through and of course when people are teaching right out of the gate if you don't have like a little bit of a background, um, you're kind of in dangerous terrain, in my opinion, because it's just like it's like it's like um, I know this from personal experience from martial arts. When it comes down to fighting, um, there have been people who have gone their entire life; they've never been in a fight, but yet they are a highly decorated black belt. They do all these great performances. They can do a backflip and you know, kick five boards and break them, but they don't know what it's like to be punched in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with people who are really like physically um, gifted and athletic, but at the same time, they don't know how to like get through to a kid who's maybe the uncoordinated one, the kid who's very shy and, you know, self-conscious and stuff. And they kind of just go, okay, well, you know what? Fuck him, he's a lost cause. I'm going to focus on the jocks that are on the other side of the room that get what I'm doing and are impressed with what I'm doing and stuff. Um, so really, like, where authority comes into play is you have to be that, you have to really be a teacher. You have to be the, the, the one who knows how to speed up when necessary and also how to slow down to get the other kids or the other people, like, up onto what you're trying to teach, you know, to get them to understand, you know, how to read and write so that way eventually they're going to be able to 
read the assignment at home, you know, that you give them. Or, you know, when they go to a club, they're going to get it, you know, because they, they actually go, oh, okay, this, this makes sense now because we're always doing this like in a classroom environment, but now this is my first club and the room is like full of ciphers. And it's not like how it is in a dance studio where I get to like look at myself in the mirror and everything. Yeah. Um, now it's like, it means shit. Sometimes even like people will, uh, will, will trip out about the fact that you could go into a cipher five, six, seven times and nobody will say shit. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and and you're you're going well. I usually get cheered, like like competitions are another good example, right? It's like you do a little move that has like a little bit of pop to it, a little bit of like pizzazz, and people are like woo, you know, and all that shit. Or they're like hey, and then you go to certain ciphers where it's just all dancers. They're all killers, and they they see what you do and they they acknowledge it. Maybe they might like kind of you know nod their head very subtly, or they might like you know snap their fingers, but they're not gonna fucking jump up and down like this is, you know, the BC1 final and shit. They're just like, hey, oh, we're all waiting for our, our time to get in and dance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I get it. So it's funny how you say that because I'm actually going to start going into a point, especially with me, you know, back in teaching now, mm-hmm. where normally if it's like a, like a workshop or like every other class type of deal like I originally had, then when we go into cypher time, that's when I do bring in the cheers and shit mm-hmm. like that. But I'm just going to stop cheering because mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah, it's it's literally it's not like that at all. Right. Uh, I mean, in a house cipher, everyone's trying to listen to the music. Now, granted, is are there cheers here and there? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people acknowledge. Yeah. But people are trying to get into the zone. They're trying to get stay into the. They're trying to stay in the pocket. Yep. You know, they're trying to catch the ghost. Yep. So. You know, a lot of the times it's it's like a quiet moment. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just the dancers and the music, and right. that's it. You know, and so yeah, I guess from here on out, like uh, I'll probably start using or you know really being pure about it. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than like keep going, yay, right. all right, this and that, and 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 I'm not saying that I'm not genuine about that. Like, don't get me wrong. Whenever my students and I, whenever we cipher, like I, I really am like appreciative of what they're doing, mm-hmm. and I really am excited about it because it takes a lot of courage, it takes a lot of strength to go into a cipher and to kind of like expose yourself like that. Right. It's not easy, mm-hmm. especially if you know you half-ass don't really know what you're doing. Right. You know, and and or if you're trying to figure out what you're doing, you know, a lot of the times people they think so fucking much in the cipher that they just look like robots. Yeah. You know, and, and then you're, you're kind of like fuck happened dude like right. like where's the beat right and there's there's a thing too that it's like a teacher has to be very conscious of which is um uh somebody else said this once before too uh, i think it was rodney mullen was talking about um pelting people with praise um because if you've gone through a time in, in your life where it was like you knew what it was like for people to like genuinely be appreciative of what you do and other people that were j- just gassing you, you know, um, you can kind of tell the difference and you know how heavy that can be of a burden on other people. So like if you walk up to, you know, a student who is struggling with stuff and once they get something, you're like, there you go. You got it. All right. You know, when you, you give them a pound or, you know, you give them a pat on the back, that's one thing. But if it's like somebody goes out and they're just completely phoning it in, they're not being serious, they're not being focused, they're not paying attention to what they're doing, they're not in the moment, 
and they're just kind of jumping up and down and just flailing their limbs, you know, you praising that is going to be potentially catastrophic because yeah, it's worse because what that that can do is that can give a person a false sense of accomplishment mm-hmm. and then now that person's going to walk around because uh just like you know many martial art uh schools you know we we affectionately call them mcdojos where it's nonsensical to have a kid who's seven years old be a black belt you know <laughs> but his but his parents put him in when he was three yeah so it's like okay well yeah Granted, you spent a lot of time here, and technically you're very proficient, but a black belt typically is somebody who's got the authority to be able to teach. And that also means that they have the authority and the ability to be able to, you know, teach not only, like, you know, the art of what they're doing, but the martial. Oh, the fight or, fight or flight. Like, right. I think when I think of a black belt, I think of someone that, that can react. Right, you know. And, you know, and that won't freeze. Well, it... It's the same nonsense, and if if it, if this offends anybody, you know, sorry, not sorry, but like it, it's like it's like child preachers, right? Like you see that shit all the time in like Bible Belt areas where there's like some kid who's like five or seven years old who's this prodigy, and the kid gets out there, and he but what he's doing is he's not actually pontificating, you know, these real like religious and spiritual experiences. He's copying what he grew up in, in the church. So when he sees people say things and the crowd gets a reaction and a pop, it's because he watched the deacon or the pastor or, you know, the reverend or whoever do this. So all he's doing is mimicking at that Mm. point. People go, oh, my God, he's so profound and stuff. It's like that's you see that with like, you know, like I said, you know, children who can do, you know, five back handsprings, jump in the air and kick a, you know, board while someone's like standing on top of somebody's shoulders and then it's like that's cool but there's also like a nine-year-old who could kick his fucking ass Mm -hmm. because he's just like i don't care about all the the stuff that you know i'm just going to go ahead and i'm just going to shove you to the ground and i'm just going to punch the shit out of you and then you know you meet those kids who are really disciplined who've been training in in something like jujitsu for a long time and they a lot of a lot of academies will even have it now where before a certain age there's like a different belt ranking system so it's kind of like because they don't want to just they don't they think it's unfair to just keep you as like a white belt until you finally are old enough to start you know rolling with people who are you know bigger and more dangerous so but they're but they're not going to go ahead and give a black belt to a seven-year-old kid you know even even if that kid was raised in the gracie family it's like yeah he might have a lot of the knowledge of of a black belt but you know go ahead and put him up against any other black belt <laughs> you know in that academy and that's he's going to be in danger um so it's it's more about like kind of saying like okay so we've been like spending a lot of time helping to build the boat but it's not seaworthy yet we got to make sure that everything is like ready to go and then once it gets out to sea just because it's seaworthy doesn't mean that the sea is going to respect that either mm-hmm. so it's like now that you're ready to go and play with the big kids realize that there's going to be times where mommy and daddy can't help you. You're going to be in a cipher in a, a different part of the world where no one fucking gives a shit. No one cares that you house dance to or that you lock or you pop or whatever. And it's just going to be completely about what you bring to the table. And typically, um, the the really good relationships that you get are the ones where you know how to read the room and you start noticing that you started to vibe with certain circles 
or maybe you feel like you're in a certain circle and you're not getting any kind of love and you're like, all right, relocate. Or maybe you're getting too much love. Maybe too many people are like jumping on your, your, uh, your tail and you're like, you know what? I don't like this. I'm, I'm feeling kind of weird having this much attention, you know, being the new kid in school. I'm going to go over here and mm-hmm. sit at a different table and just rotate around. And then now you're starting to develop like real experience because you're dancing with the outcasts. You're dancing with the cool kids. You're dancing mm-hmm. with the people that are technically superior. Yeah. You're dancing with the people who are just like, yo, I just came out here to have fun. Mm-hmm. And now you're, you're getting more of a variety. But, yeah. you know, sometimes, like, it's it's weird when you when you have people that will, um, I mean, I guess it's the kind of the upstart syndrome, right? Like, you know, uh, DJ who looks really, really, you know, attractive and has, like, good marketing on social media. And they get pushed to the front of the line after only being in it for two years. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but then you go to a, a club or an event. And everybody's like, oh, my God, this DJ is so great. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been following uh, them for, you know, uh, the last two years. They're so amazing and this and this. And then you listen and they're flubbing their set. Yeah. And you go, yeah, this person hasn't really had, like, like they, they've never, they haven't gone through enough, like, of the shitty gigs to get that experience. To know, like, when they flubbed over their mix or when the other DJ went too long. Yeah. And now they got a mix off of like 128 beats per minute, and they were like, "Well, most of my music starts at like 117 yeah. or something." They don't really have perspective, right? And they need to get those those experiences. And sometimes those experiences they come at a price. They come at you being embarrassed, or yeah, they suck. Like, like fuck, man, I don't know anything. I, f- I felt like I've, I've been doing really good for the last three years, and then someone just told me I'm a complete rookie. Mm-hmm. You know. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, man. It's like really like getting into a place of authority yeah. is important first because then at that point, if you do teach, um, then you're doing it for all the right reasons because mm-hmm. you're not doing it for you. You're right. doing it for the scene. You're doing it for the dance. But, you know, I, I've, I've met other people who kind of like romanticized, you know, even like with like breaking and shit. They, they're like – so much so that even people who would go and they would like sit in on sessions, learn the basics of breaking, and then they would go to some obscure part of wherever and then just open up a school or start teaching. Mm-hmm. And you go, you mean that person who only came out to like a couple of jams that one year and now they're like laying claim to like twin cities hip-hop or this group or that group or whatever and saying like oh yeah i'm I'm, you know that's where i cut my teeth and it's like we didn't see that we saw you here but you weren't participating i always wonder i always wonder like you know some of the people damn i might put my foot in my mouth (laughs) whatever i always wonder um if People that take my class are genuine about it, you know, because I've seen some people take my class, mm-hmm. you know, and then let's be real, like five months later, oh, house class host, you know, house class by such and such. I'm like, this fucking, this person took my class like six months ago. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> and and um, I'm like, okay. And it's fine, I guess. Because at the end of the day, we all do it, too. Mm-hmm. You know, we all go to the clubs to learn or we all go to battles to mm-hmm. get smoked and get perspective or we mm-hmm. take workshops to get perspective. And 
use certain things that we like from their workshop and whatnot in our own classes. But, you know, like, I don't know. I think sometimes I wish people would be upfront with yeah. me about it, you know, and be like, hey, I want to eventually teach this. Mm-hmm. I want to learn from you. Right. You know, because that's, that's what I like when yeah. people that want to, when people are like super like upfront with me about that, where they're like, I want to learn for you, learn from you. Let me know what I need to do. Right. To learn. Mm-hmm. And then it's great because then I'll tell them. Right. Now, have I had anyone successful out of that? No, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Like everyone that's told me that has fallen off mm-hmm. because I tell them exactly what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And they maybe do 50% of it. Mm-hmm. And then the other 50% is them going into a different dance style because yeah. it's the popular thing to do. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they just they felt more of a gravitational pull towards that. They said, hey, I thought I liked house, but I really love crump. Yeah, which is or, cool. Yeah. I really love popping or I live, really love whacking. Yeah. But, the, the, see, like, but where my thing comes in is like, dude, why don't you just tell me that? I mean, you know, like I, the book is still open. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just end the chapter already? Right. And tell me, like, I just wish that dancers, would, especially here in Minnesota, would be up mm-hmm. front with me and be like, yeah. look. I'm not really into it. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Right. Because now I don't have to question myself. Right. Be like, fuck, dude. Did I fuck up? Well. Which I know I really didn't. Right. But, you know, I was like, I'm still human, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I just had this um, fairly recent with, um, you know, somebody who I was uh, mentoring in DJing. And they reached out to me and said, hey, listen, um, I think I'm I'm going to take a break from DJing and I just wanted to let you know. So that way you didn't have any like hopes or expectations that I can't fulfill kind of a thing. And I was like, you know what? You are the first person to do that for me or to me. And because of that, I have no like resentment or ill feelings or anything. It's like, even if it was just like, Hey, you know what? I, I realized DJing isn't for me. I'm like, Thank you so much. Thank you for at least being honest with yourself. And, you know, uh, you know, thanks for at least giving it a go and giving it your best, you know, possible effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I respect that a lot. Yeah. And then there's like other times where people will, um, and this is kind of like, you know, part of like that kind of the, the cult of personality thing, right? You start to feel like you're losing the attention of the tribe. So you go and you have to like make some kind of dramatic example, right? And it's kind of a sleight of hand bullshit trick, but it's to keep everybody invested, right? So you're going to like, all right, today I'm going to break 17 bricks with my elbow. And everyone goes, ooh, you know, and then somebody else goes, yeah, but what the fuck does that have to do with, you know, what we're supposed to be learning, right? Because I'm never going to get into a fight with bricks. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get into a fight with a person and it's never going to be set up just like that for you to be able to execute that technique in that way in combat. So what you're doing is you're trying to keep the students from becoming disinterested. And that's usually the act of somebody who's very desperate because once you feel that you're losing the crowd, then your power starts to diminish. Your hold over them starts to diminish. Mm -hmm. Unless you're a person who's actualized and you weren't doing it for that reason to begin with. So you are completely comfortable, like you have an open door policy. Um, my Sifu was like that in, in my training where um, back in the day, he was like, listen, he goes, I'm not 
I'm not expecting you to even stay. He's like, the door swings both ways. And he goes, so if you come over and you train, as long as you're training and giving it your all, you're going to get whatever benefits you're going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm not going to be, you know, this isn't going to be drunken master where I'm going to be like standing on, you know, your back as you're, you know, doing, you know, push-ups, or I'm going to hit you with a stick or any of that kind of stuff. In fact, my teacher was very much hands off because I was the only white boy in that basement training. Everybody else was Hmong. So it was like, everybody was there. There was like, you know, hardly any room to maneuver. We had to like practice in, in like shifts to have enough space. And then little by little, everyone started disappearing and they all started just going off and doing their own thing. But they never told him like, Hey, Sifu, you know, thank you very much. Um, I think I'm just going to go and hang out with my friends or get into football or do this or do that. Nobody said anything. They just started dropping off here and there. Then eventually there was just me. And the, I think the thing that my Sifu was very impressed with was the fact that, um, you know, I would, I would, show up at his house i would immediately go downstairs and i would do like all the essential training and review first and then finally he'd be like okay he'd like come down and be like all right you're warmed up and then he would show me a new technique or show me an addition to the form i was learning or something else and then maybe we would do like conditioning drills where it's like two people uh it's not like sparring but it's you know uh in muay thai they have it and wing chun they have it where you're trying to like condition you know, the forearms or the shins and things. We would do, you know, contact drills and stuff. And then afterwards, he's like, okay, cool. Now we're going to go upstairs and we're going to eat. You know, and I'd been down there for like two to three hours training and almost every day after school. And um, that's how I knew that I had like more of a sense of ownership, not of the art, but of my involvement and responsibility using the art Mm -hmm. because a lot of times when people learn something um they get upset because they're not going as you know as as far as fast as they wanted to and there's other people who don't even they don't even pay attention to that they're just like i'm i'm actually getting the satisfaction from the work itself so eventually they get to a place where now um they are you know 15 20 years in and they're getting you know all the accolades or the respect or you know opportunities that they probably really wanted when they were like a first year student but now they're really ready for it and sometimes they still even question that they go i don't i don't know i don't know if i'm really ready to go to this competition or you know get into this uh this this event or do this or do that and then they just go okay you know what i just got to get out of my own way and just go and do it and if i fail well then i fail but if i succeed well then it was because of the hard work that i put and paid off Mm -hmm. and i think that it's tough in street dance um because the thing is that it's not a contact sport like the most aggressive of all of them um neck to neck like neck and neck would be breaking crump in my my humble opinion um but, like, you know, you can get somebody who was self-taught, did nothing but, like, watch YouTube footage, and then they go out to some dance studio, and they say, hey, I teach popping. 
and someone goes, hey, show me what you can do. And you do some stuff, and they go, wow, that's really impressive. Okay, yeah, you're, you're going to teach a popping class. This person's never been to L.A. or, you know, the Bay Area or, you know, to all these, like, hotbeds where amazing poppers are. And they can kind of con them themselves or other people into being in this position where they've got a responsibility and they've got authority. And now they're churning out all these people. And then, of course, some of these people will decide to be ambitious and say, hey, I'm going to go to this popping battle they're having up in Toronto or over in Missouri or this place or that place. And then they get tuned up really fucking quick. And people go, who the fuck taught you? You know, and you're like, oh, you know, popping dookie butt, you know, popping dookie butt. Never heard of him. Oh, yeah, yeah. He said he, you know, he's like trained with the OGs and he's done this and he's done that and shit. And they go, you got some footage of him? Yeah, sure. And you show it, and he's just like, and that motherfucker bites wiggles, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah, that's that's definitely uh, Pete Steez right there. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's Kite, that's Guchan, that's this, you know? Like, they'll, they can name all that shit because they've been around. They know all these people. They know how everybody dances. So when this person all of a sudden fudges on their resume and says, you know, yeah, I, I've got, like, this particular uh, pedigree – they're going to be the ones that are going to have the biggest magnifying glass. And and it's sad because then the student feels embarrassed because now they're going to, you know, they're like, well, I always thought that my dad was the biggest, baddest motherfucker on the planet. And then now I watched, you know, the garbage man knock him out because he's actually not that bad of a, you know, he's. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking garbage guys. <laughs> Picks up the trash, puts it in the garbage can, and just straight knocks your dad out. Right. <laughs> For no reason. Right. <laughs> just like, like trash. You know, <laughs> but but there's there's people that are like that. There's people that have done that in martial arts. There's people that have done that in business. There's people that have done that in entertainment. I mean, all, all kinds of different mediums where, um, you know, it's a, it's it's a lot more about who you know than what you know. And that's a very dangerous um, game to play because mm-hmm. eventually – you're going to get to a place where finally, you know, an ex- like an experienced swordsman is going to want to test the sharpness of your blade. Yeah. And they're like, I don't fucking care about, you know, your pedigree or any of this other stuff that you say you know. Just show me what's up. You know, draw. And that person's like, well, I wasn't ready. Well, no, because, you know, um, I, well, I normally... Like, if this was five years ago, I would have smoked you. But, you know, I've, I've been going through some stuff, you know. I got, like, you know, a lazy eye now and you know, or whatever the fucking bullshit. My eyes are crossed now. My eyes are crossed. You know, I got one shot, gonorrhea, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's like, and it's like, okay, well, then why was it five minutes ago you were giving it the big end? How come you were being all humble then and saying, no, actually, I, I teach popping at a small, you know, uh, studio in the middle of nowhere and stuff but like my foundation isn't very good i should probably like go and learn more and you know bring it back to my students and stuff rather than give them this like false sense of you know oh yeah you're ready you're prepared you know you i mean i've seen that shit happen so many times with like the big fish and the small pond mentality and i've even had to check myself because you know i you know starting off in dance i was watching all kinds of documentaries. I was reading all kinds of history and everything. And then I got to a point where I realized that I was talking out of pocket and I had to stop because there are, like you were saying, there's some people that were there and they're actually in the room with you. And that's the, that's the biggest thing that, uh, that was a very humbling experience for me was going back and 
revisiting like the the fact that I, I never never a million years thought I'd meet anybody that used to you know that was in Beat Street or in Breakin or Breakin Two Electric Boogaloo or you know any any of these like films or music videos or any of this shit. And you're the next thing you know, you're having a conversation, you know, and you know, sparking a joint with uh, somebody who was uh, one of the poppers in like the Thriller video or some shit, and you're going, "The fuck, man!" Like, yeah, I I know nothing. I know less than nothing, and that's the, my only saving grace is that I knew that I knew nothing. So I was like, "Okay, I'm just not gonna talk." And if, can you imagine if you were like? telling a story yeah <laughs> and like the, the guy that you're telling a story about is literally in front of you yeah and then he says well thanks for telling my story right but you're like wrong right exactly <laughs> you know and and that and that's like i also learned that um when you watch like certain documentaries a tough part that i i came to a realization about was narration because it's not just about like what the documentary is about it's about who directed it who wrote it because yeah. there is a writer for yeah. a documentary it's not like they just take all the footage and put it together and say see here we go nope. you if you're the director or the writer there's a narrative that you want to tell mm-hmm. yeah. so you and go you back look at freshest kids yeah yeah case in point i mean and it's like and you look at it executive producer richie cologne <laughs> how much Crazy drama legs. did that shit cause yeah exactly <laughs> you know and i mean even to the point where it even pissed off people that were in it yeah. that were featured like cool herc he was oh, just like wait a minute yeah you know and the and the and the thing too is that like or you'll watch like a, a documentary where they'll put somebody on like this like super high pedestal but that person is unaware because maybe they knew him from like videos or from this or that but they're a complete pariah they're like oh yeah yeah that, that person's actually a piece of shit and you're yep. like, really? Well, you know, how could he be a piece of shit when he wrote, you know, that song that was so incredible in 1983? You can still be a piece of shit. You can still be a piece of shit. Yeah. You know, in fact, that's the music industry is teamed with that. That's why I also try not to get too married to uh, when everybody gets like real, like heavy into uh, being a hall monitor about everything. Mm-hmm. You go, did you know? Yeah, because the world's a fucked up place and people are... You know, they, they're corruptible. Yeah. They can be bad. They can be trauma. Uh, they, they got through trauma, and then rather than, like, resolving it, they yeah. I mean, people perpetrated make, it themselves. People make mistakes. Yeah, people fuck up sometimes. People are 17, and they were just like, oh, yeah, this is this is the smart thing to do, right? Like, you yeah. watch, like, everything from they're, jackass. They're in the moment. They yeah. didn't know any better. And right. then, you know, as you age, you realize, damn, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And right. that's never going to stop. Right. You're never going to stop learning and looking back and saying, mm-hmm. damn, I fucked up. I right. fucked that one up. But now it's about, okay, well, how do you react to that? Well, mm-hmm. I guess tomorrow's a new day. I'm right. just going to be better about things. Right. And and that's that's the other thing, too, is that, like, I, I think about it with, like, a lot of documentaries, the way that they're written. They want to they tell a certain story or narrative because maybe the director had – something at stake with that right like oh the skateboarding was so impactful to me when i was 14 that i decided after going through film school i wanted to make a documentary about skateboarding right and i wanted to make a documentary about the thing that i was like the the you know most into and so you're doing it as like a love letter but then maybe if the only team that you ever followed in the nba was the chicago bulls because of michael jordan you're forgetting that there's like a whole like league and all these other players and all these other histories. So you're 
dedicating all this stuff to talk about and glorify this one aspect, which some people um, will really appreciate. I mean, the people at the top that you're making it about will appreciate it because that's like great promotion for them. It's like, hey, I can't believe that, you know, you made this and it makes me look so good. Um, but then there's like other people that will say, you're like, listen, I, I know that you want to make a documentary about this, but I think that um, you should, you're doing your research right now. So I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'll save it for the cheap seats. I'm not the innovator of this. Mm-hmm. There's like a whole like generation or two generations, maybe even three that mm-hmm. preceded me. Mm-hmm. I just maybe am like popular right now or I'm, you know, I had I was one of the first ones to have a YouTube channel or do this yeah, or look do that. a run or yeah. run of luck, right? You know, and 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 those are usually the people that are really cool when you get to meet them too, because they're the ones who they almost act as if like it's it's not like a fake kind of a thing. It's like it's like they're very sincere about it, but they're just like, oh, you guys are into that old stuff, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's like kinda and you're kind of humble about it, right? And yeah. And you're and you're like laughing about it because you're like, yo, you made like some impactful records, or you spun some of the biggest clubs, or you invented clubbing the way that we know it mm-hmm. and, and stuff. And they're like, yeah, but you know, I was always just a music geek. Yeah. I wasn't doing this for history or glory or being, you know, remembered. I was doing it because I wanted to throw a party, mm-hmm. or I was doing it because I, the sound back then sucked, yeah. so I needed to innovate to make the sound better. Now that's like a standard. But that all started out of necessity for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that those are the people that really do have a lot of authority and respect. And then there's those people that get into it for the wrong reasons. And they become, you know, that piece of shit DJ that went out and did a bunch of foul stuff. Mm-hmm. They were famous. They had they had a good run for a couple of years. But then they also have, like, this trail of bullshit that follows them. And then you have other people who maybe are hardly remembered or heavily respected by like the underground community, and you go, "How come I never heard of them?" And it's like, well, because they played the long game. They're, you know, they're clubbing, they're doing this, they're teaching at these places, they're throwing these parties and everything. Yeah, so you have, low key. yeah, but of course you're not going to fucking see them at you know EDC, no, because you know that that doesn't mean anything to them. Mm-hmm. And even getting that as like a for or a, maybe you will, but they won't post about it right well they're just yeah. very private about it right exactly with the own thing mm-hmm. well we should wrap it up yeah uh just want to give a couple of shout outs shout out to charlie chell for winning uh the rock dance battle at freestyle session this year congratulations with joe bell bottoms shout out to lily for uh winning uh the fucking whacking battle this year at freestyle session as well oh snap uh shout out to i think it was samo who won the house battle at freestyle session mm-hmm um, yeah, so some good footage. I gotta, you know, pull up YouTube here shortly and just watch them shits. And, yeah, and really see who I thought won. <laughs> now I'm sure they, they more than ever deserved it. Yeah, um, especially Charlie. Yeah, he's fucking a beast. He dances his ass off. Yeah, yeah. So with that being said, thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Styles and Triss, and we will talk to you soon. Peace, peace, peace.